One, two, three. Hey, there we are. Uh, good morning. And greetings from Greenville, Texas. It's as cold and wet over there as it is here, so I'm fixing to get colder and wetter, I've heard, so it's a joy to be with you, and you know, I'm, I'm glad you began with the remembrance of Pearl Harbor, because uh, of course my dad fought in the Pacific Theater in World War II, and uh, you know, I can, I can remember him talking about that as well. And, and of course, for those of us who aren't old enough to remember that, and of course I wasn't born at that time, so I don't remember it, but, but we remember our modern day equivalent of Pearl Harbor, you know, 911, where all of our lives changed uh, radically uh, because of one event in one day. And it, it really fits in very well with what I'm gonna talk about today. Uh, you know, normally I stay in a, a passage where I'm telling a story because that's what I am. I'm, I'm an artist and a storyteller more than anything. And uh, but today we're going to kind of do a, a sweep and think about the subject of peace because uh, one, it's Advent, and that's our theme. In fact, you hear a lot about peace and a baby in a manger, and when you hear about you know, when, when, not just us, but when the world begins to talk about Christmas, we get a lot of, you know, quiet, peaceful, positive images. We get nativity scenes. In Greenville, there's one church that does a live nativity scene every year, and I felt sorry for them some years because there have been a few of those times when they've been standing out in 20-degree weather. But we see a baby in a manger, and we see peace, and we, we see the theme of, of peace on earth. Uh, and yet we look all around us and we, we don't see peace, do we? I want to tell you a story about an artist. Uh, you may not know his name and you may not know much about him, but you've probably seen some of his work. In fact, I can almost guarantee uh, you'll recognize some of his work. His name was Edward Hicks. Edward lived in Pennsylvania in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And uh, he was a Quaker. And of course, if you know much about the Quakers, they're very much all about peace and living peaceful and simple lifestyles, very similar to the Amish in, in that respect, that uh, they didn't go with a lot of flash. There wasn't a lot of bling in their lives. And uh, Edward was a painter, but in true Quaker style, his objects that he painted were houses and barns and uh, coaches and not as an artist would paint them he actually just painted them uh, and that was how he earned his living but it didn't pay all that well and he began to discover that if he would go in people's houses and paint their household objects and then if he painted tavern signs he could actually make some decent money and so he began to do it. Now, understand, uh, Edward was also a, a minister. He was a, a preacher and a traveling preacher at times. And this really helped his ministry and helped his traveling and, and underwrote a lot of the costs. Unfortunately, the Quaker brethren didn't much appreciate him painting tavern signs, uh, nor did they appreciate him going into people's houses and painting decorative items because that just wasn't, that didn't fit with what they believed and what they taught. And so he backed off of that 
and decided to earn his living as a farmer. Well, Edward had many gifts, but farming wasn't one of them. And he was not earning a very good living at that, and, and eventually a friend convinced him to go back to painting. And he took up painting again, and uh, by this time was not really working as a minister anymore. But he began to paint one particular subject. Now, he still did the tavern signs and you know, decorative items, but he began you know, uh, serious painting. He's actually called a folk artist because of his style, but uh, he began painting scenes. And there was one passage of scripture that grabbed his attention, and of course it was a passage of scripture, again, that was well known to Quakers, from Isaiah chapter 11. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. And the cow will feed with the bear, and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. And the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest, and they will neither harm nor just destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Edward began to paint a scene that is now known as the Peaceable Kingdom, where he depicted the lion and the lamb and the wolf and the goat and, and the children all together enjoying that peace that is promised in the scriptures. You'll notice over here in almost every one of his paintings, he has the Quakers and he has the Indians making peace and living together in harmony. Now, I didn't know until we visited Colonial Williamsburg some years ago uh, that he did more than one of these paintings. As a matter of fact, uh, Edward Hicks did at least 62 versions of this painting, and depending on the source that you check, uh, Dallas Morning, or not, not Dallas Morning News, Dallas Museum of Art, says he did well over 100 of these. Each one a little bit different, but each one with the same theme of peace. Because that was the yearning of his heart, and it reflects the yearning of our hearts. Because as we look around us and we see, we see ISIS and we see terrorism and we see people going into schools and shooting and we see just things that are beyond comprehension, there is a desire in our hearts to see that day when the wolf lies down with the lamb and with a lot, when the lion eats straw like an ox and when a little child can reach into a cobra's den and that's the yearning, uh, yearning of our heart. That's what we seek, that's what we desire. And so every year as we celebrate Advent, we want peace. God announced that that peace would be coming. In Isaiah 9, 6, he promises, he says, For to us a, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the promise of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom 
establishing and upholding the justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God promised peace. I want you to go back with me and put yourself in the perspective of someone who's heard that promise, who's looking forward to that time of peace, who has that expectation that God is going to bring peace to the world. Go back with me and hear the words of Isaiah. Instead of bronze, I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and uh, iron in place of stones. And I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. And the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, Book of Revelation picks that same theme. <coughs> but it goes on, Isaiah 66. For this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her, Zion or Jerusalem, like a river. And the wealth of nations like a flooding stream, and you will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees as a mother comforts her child. So will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. When you go into the Gospels, what happens when the angels announce to the shepherds the birth of Messiah? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the high heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I've preached a number of times here out of the Gospel of Luke, and if you remember some of those messages, you know that as Jesus walked with his disciples, crowds began to build. And those crowds were enthusiastic because Messiah, they had become convinced that Messiah had come. And he was the one who was going to fulfill those promises that we just read. And, and of course, I only took a couple of those. They're scattered throughout the Old Testament. God is going to come, and he's going to make things right, and he's going to bring peace. And as Jesus walked the earth, people rejoiced because that peace was at hand. He was going to overthrow the Romans. He was going to take down the oppressors. And peace would flow like a river. But unfortunately, there was a different reality. It didn't happen the way everybody thought it would. In fact, Jesus himself said, I have come to bring fire on earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. That didn't sound like peace. He goes on in the next verse in Luke 12. I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I'm under until it is accomplished. Can you imagine having gone through your entire life anticipating Messiah coming. Becoming convinced that you found Messiah. And then he says something like that. Now, you might be able to identify with the fire on earth part because they anticipated Messiah would come in judgment 
to destroy the enemies of Israel. But then he begins to talk about a baptism that he has to undergo. And, and incidentally, in this chapter, when Jesus is saying these things, the scripture at, at the very first of that chapter says the crowds had become so big that they were trampling one another. So Jesus isn't just doing this as a private consult to his disciples. He's telling the crowds, it's not going to be the way you think it's going to be. In fact, he then asks them, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? Well, yeah. That's kind of what we were anticipating, that you were going to come and you were going to make things right and we were going to have peace and, and peace was going to flow like a, a river and our walls were going to be salvation and praise and everything was going to be perfect and wonderful. And Jesus said, no. I tell you, I've come to bring division. Matthew even strengthens it. Matthew says, I've come to bring a sword. He says, from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He says, I haven't come to bring you peace. As a matter of fact, from now on, division is going to be the order of the day. I can't even imagine being in part of that crowd and trying to figure out what, what, what are you talking about? This is not the Messiah we expected. We expected a Messiah who would bring peace. As Jesus sometime later approaches the city of Jerusalem, it says as he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. And the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. And they will not leave one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He said, I could have come to bring peace, but you turned from me. You didn't accept me. And because you didn't recognize the time of your visitation, there will be no peace. There will be division. There will be sadness. There will be war. Eventually, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. So what happened to the promise? 2,000 years later, we're still waiting. And the lion has not yet begun to eat straw like an ox. And... The wolf does not lie down with the lamb unless the lamb is inside the wolf. What happened? Nothing. Did God's promises fail? No. But we have to understand that for now, we must live in the prince's peace. What is that? Let's think about it. 
I'm just going to go through some select places in the New Testament. And we could spend hours if we hit every one of them. I encourage you, if you get some time, just study the word peace through the New Testament. Here's just a brief selection. Last Supper, Jesus says, peace. He's talking to, now this is a private conversation. This is Jesus sitting down and explaining things to the disciples. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you peace as the world gives, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. He knew what was about to happen. They still were pretty clueless. But he says, these things I'm saying into you, or saying unto you, that you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He said, you guys have no idea what you're about to experience. In fact, all of you, he says in another gospel, will fall. All of you are going to run away. Of course, Peter says, no, I'm not. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you are. He says, all of you are going to be offended on account of me. But he says, I want you to know, before it ever starts, I have overcome the world. It's not going to unfold the way you expected. It's not going to be the way you thought it would be. But don't be afraid. Yes, I have a baptism that I have to be baptized with. But that baptism isn't the end. If it was, if it all ended at the cross, then we probably ought to set our Bibles aside and go make the best of life that we can. I do Christmas chalk drawings a lot, and one thing that I almost always say when I do a chalk art presentation on Christmas is the manger is meaningless without the cross and the empty tomb. The manger is meaningless without the cross, and the cross is meaningless without the empty tomb. Paul said, if Christ isn't raised, your faith is vain. And because Christ is raised, because he came out of that tomb on the third day, because he is alive and at the right hand of God the Father, everything's different. First day of the week, first appearance on that evening, the first day of the week when the disciples were gathered together with doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Can you imagine what that felt like? After having gone through, I'm sure, utter despair. You know, you look in, 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 in Luke as Jesus walks along the road to Emmaus with the, the two disciples. And they are so totally deject, dejected. And they said, We thought... He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Yeah, they were not holding out hope. The resurrection was not something cocked up uh, or, or created by hopeful disciples who were trying to convince themselves that, that maybe Jesus really would raise it. They didn't believe he was going to come out of that tomb. They said, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought past tense. But we were evidently wrong because Messiahs don't die. 
But on that first day of the week, Jesus says, peace be unto you. Go forward to Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about a fourfold unfolding of peace and how the Prince's peace works in our lives right now. One, we have peace with God. If you know Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled to God. You have peace with Him. And I don't know about you, but as I look at my life, most of the time I feel I don't deserve peace with you. But that's the joy. In Colossians it says, God was working in Christ to reconcile the world to himself through Christ's blood. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. That's the first outworking of peace in your and my lives. But there's a second outworking of peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We not only have peace with God, but if you know Jesus Christ, you can have the peace of God. You have worries? If you don't, I can share some of mine. <laughs> yeah, we got worries. We, we, we live in so much stress. We live in so much struggle today. Again, just reading the news or watching the news and seeing the horrible things that go on in the world and you begin to wonder, is it even safe to go out of my house anymore? And then you think of the personal things that we all have to deal with. And Paul says... Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. It's, I always say that's easy for you to say, Paul. I tend to worry. And I have to remind myself. But you know, one thing that I found in my life is when I'm getting like that, if I just start to thank God for the circumstances that I'm in, Say, God, I do not understand this, and it's stressing me out, it's killing me, but thank you. I'm loving and trusting you. And as soon as I begin to do that, the problem might not go away, but my perspective changes because there is a peace that floods in. Because God says, I've got this. Don't worry about it. I've got this. So there's the peace with God that we have. There is peace, the peace of God. And then the third outworking of peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you have been called to peace. Now, I don't have time to read the whole context of that chapter. But that chapter isn't talking about peace with God or the peace that passes understanding. It's talking about peace with one another here in the church. And he talks about forgiving one another as God forgave us. It's, you know, that's the part that gets me. You know, it's, it's, God didn't say, well, forgive one another. 
He said, I want you to forgive people as I forgave you. That's a tall order. Because that kind of forgiveness is unconditional. That kind of forgiveness is blanket. That kind of forgiveness does not hold a secret grudge back there that says, well, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. He has called us to be at peace with one another. And yet, how much do we see in the church, in churches, in the church broader, Christians living at odds with one another? You know, the the most grievous thing to me over the last month was reading the newspaper articles that were talking about how people, and this wasn't talking about Christians necessarily, but I'm sure it probably happened among them, how people were being disinvited from Thanksgiving dinner because of the position they took in the election, whether or not they were going to vote for Trump or, or Hillary. And people were so argumentative about it that they were saying, we probably ought not to get together. And again, that, that wasn't an article about Christians per se, but I don't doubt that it happened among believers. It probably happened in churches. I know I've seen on Facebook Christians having total fights about the whole thing. We're to be at peace with one another. We have peace with God. The peace of God should dominate our hearts, and it should cause us to be at peace with one another. But God doesn't stop there. There's a fourth outworking of peace. If it is possible, Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, that little clause there is important. As far as it depends on you. You know, we live in a hostile world that is becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. Our culture, which once held people of faith in high esteem, now considers people of faith in general, but Christians especially, sort of the bottom of the barrel. What should our attitude be? Well, should we be you know, fighting fundies and fight against them? No. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. In other words, if somebody has an issue with me, it shouldn't come from me. It shouldn't be my attitude, my sin, my rebellion, my anger that causes a problem. Now, if somebody has an attitude with me because I'm a Christian, I can't help that. But I can love them and I can walk in peace toward them. Near the end of the book of Romans, Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This time of year, we think of peace on earth. And we begin to wonder... Is that vision of Edward Hicks ever going to become a reality? Yes, I believe it will with all my heart. But God has that in his timing, not in my timing. If it were my timing, I'd say, let's do it today. God has his own schedule. But one day the lion will eat straw like an ox. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together. A little child will reach into the cobra's den. A little child will... Can you see a little child leading a tiger along? It's going to happen. 
But it's not yet. And until then, God has called you and me to live out a fourfold outworking of peace. Peace with God that we have through Jesus Christ. The peace of God internally as we trust him. The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts as his people. And then as far as it depends on us, being at peace with everyone around us. The Messiah came and has gone back to heaven. And in his place, he said, as the Father sent me, so I now send you. We are the people of peace. We are the people of Messiah. We should not be the people who throw a holy fit because Starbucks does not produce a Christmas cup to our liking. We should not be a people who throw a holy fit because somebody says happy holidays to us instead of Merry Christmas. Be thankful they said something nice. We should be a people who imitate Jesus Christ, who look to him, our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior. And say, I will follow you and I will imitate you. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We love you and we thank you that you loved us first. We thank you for the mercy that you have shown us in your son, Jesus. We didn't deserve it. I know I don't. But we ask that you would rule in our hearts, that your peace would rule in our hearts, that we would enjoy peace with you through Jesus Christ, that we would have the peace that passes all understanding, that we would be at peace with one another, and as far as it depends on us, that we would be at peace with everyone. Be with us as we go forth today, in Jesus' name.